Welcome to Home Dance Film Festival, the podcast that brings a little bit of the Sundance Film Festival to you. We discuss two movies that premiered at Sundance, along with one non-Sundance film, plus a few other fun things thrown in along the way. Today, we will be discussing Hunt for the Wilder People, Promising Young Woman, and Lola Versus. My name is Jessica. And I'm Dylan. Before we get into our main discussion, I have to ask, Jessica, do you have anything from this week that you would like to discuss? Yes. This week, we watched Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Yes, we did. <laughs> so I didn't really want to go too much into the plot because I, I don't want to give too much away because I think it's better not to know as much. So I was hoping that it would be a little bit better because people were kind of freaking out about it. But I did enjoy it, and I think it was a fun, wacky comedy. It was strange, but good. I think we should mention that this stars Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo. Who also wrote it. Yes. And they wrote Bridesmaids together. This is a very different movie from that one, but I was tickled all the same, Mm -hmm. honestly. (laughs) This is a very specific type of comedy that we don't really get a lot these days. Before we watched this, I had heard someone reference Austin Powers in relation to this. And we don't normally have a lot of broad character-based comedies these days. So I was delighted to see that. The absurdist humor really worked for me. And this movie uses Jamie Dornan from the Fifty Shades of Grey series in a way that I haven't seen before. And and this is how we as a society should be using him moving forward. <laughs> I can agree with that. I didn't laugh out loud throughout the movie, but I, it did give me a lot of giggles, which is good enough for me. I had several laugh out loud moments throughout pretty consistently. So I would overall say it's a very solid comedy. Yeah. It did what it needed to do for me. Yeah, I can agree. It was solid. I think everyone should definitely watch it because it's a nice escape getaway. Yeah. And it's unlike pretty much anything that we've gotten in the last few years. So I would highly recommend at least going down that path and seeing if it works for you. And seeing what Kristen Wiig does best is always a treat. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So Dylan, is there anything that you want to discuss? Yes, Jessica. This week, I have two more things I want to discuss, and I will try to be brief. First, this week, as you know, I finally concluded my viewing of the eight Gamera films (laughs) from the Showa era of the character from the recent Arrow Video Blu-ray release. Um, For those who don't know, Gamera is Dae Film's answer to Godzilla, except he's a giant fire-breathing turtle who can fly. (laughs) And every time I mention this fact to Jessica, she giggles because Gamera, whenever he flies, he spins around in circles via jet propulsion, and she can't wrap her mind around why that's a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand. It's it's Gamera. It's just what he does. While the first film has the big guy being a destructive force, like most kaiju films, Gamera eventually becomes known as the, quote, friend of all children uh, who fights various other monsters. Uh, These movies are cheesy and usually feature dumbass kids almost getting killed. (laughs) Always a treat. Yes. But also somehow they come up with the plan that saves the day because a Adults are too stupid to do so. With these films, they get pretty absurd the more they go along, and it's like a Saturday morning cartoon. And just some of the types of things that you see in these movies that I wanted to discuss, just in brief detail, these films feature gymnastics. (laughs) And by that I mean, in one film, Gamera is doing basically the best uneven bar work (laughs) that you've ever seen. (laughs) This, these movies feature WWE-style fighting. He's <laughs> dropping some elbows on monsters. He's stomping them. There is a movie where they have like a magic school bus-esque <laughs> journey into Gamera's body to clear up a infection. And even in one of the final main films, Gamera plays a villain's back like a xylophone in the ultimate power move. It is wild. (laughs) That sounds crazy. Yes. It's very cheesy, but fun for those who like rubber suited monsters fighting one another. Of course. So 
the Showa, Showa era Gamera set from Era Video is a lot of fun, and I would recommend that. <laughs> Whenever you said uh, WWE, I thought you were going to say WD40. <laughs> <laughs> yes, needs to lube up those freaky suits. <laughs> the second film, which is more serious, uh, is the Russian documentary that is nominated for Best Documentary and Best International Feature at this year's Oscar called Collective which actually played at the 2020 Sundance, but given the nature of the movie, I thought it would be best if we didn't discuss it in depth because there are a lot of things that are revelations that we would have to be dancing around, and it's probably better if we leave that to be a surprise for people. Yeah, you should go in fresh. Yeah, but this movie is intense. It shows how a group of journalists expose corruption in Romania's public health care system following a tragic nightclub fire. It starts as one thing, but revelations just keep coming and coming uh, involving government corruption, and it is wild. That makes me think of Icarus, because it starts as one thing, and then it's it turns into something totally different, but it's an amazing documentary. Yeah, I really love this documentary. Just whenever you think you've uncovered everything, something new would come up, and I was like, how much deeper can this film get? Mm -hmm. And at one point, you start following a government official who's coming into a new role, and it's interesting to see how difficult it can be for someone who wants to do good come into a horrible situation and all the challenges that come with trying to make real change and I think it was really well done for those who want to see it it's available on Hulu right now but I would highly recommend it it's quite good yeah I definitely recommend it as something to see I think everyone should watch it I do think it was a little bit long I think they could have maybe shortened it a little bit because sometimes it dragged in places for me. Yeah, things that might could have possibly been extraneous that I'm thinking of probably would have removed some of the emotional emotional tie-ins to some of the stuff that happened at the club fire. Mm-hmm. So I, I can kind of agree with you, but I was mostly riveted the entire time. Yeah, it is good. And it's frustrating. It's a frustrating watch. Yeah, because it makes you just think about how screwed up healthcare systems are, not just in Romania, but how it also makes you think about our own healthcare system and how messed up it is. And it just makes you angry. Mm -hmm. I was going to say something else, but it might give away things, so I won't. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to be as spoiler-free as possible, but governments are corrupt and (laughs) Romania is no different. And on that light note, (laughs) Dylan, shall we Sundance? We shall. This change of scene will help straighten them out. You hungry? That's a silly question, isn't it? Look at you. <laughs> Ricky Baker, now you are 13 years old. You are a teenager and you're as good as gold. Ricky, this is heck. You can call him uncle if you like. No, I can't. Lola told me to tell you that you should give me something to do. Is there anything you want me to do? Yeah. Leave me alone. Cool. The first movie we will be discussing is Hunt for the Wilder People, starring Sam Neill and Julian Dennison, written and directed by Taika Waititi, which debuted at the Sundance 2016 Film Festival. Just to give a quick summary, the film is about a young juvenile delinquent who was abandoned by his mother named Ricky Baker, who has one final chance to be fostered before he will be sent to juvie. He's fostered by a couple who lives on a farm. The woman, Bella, is very excited to have Ricky while her husband, Heck, is a bit of a cranky pants and is just going to go along with it for Bella. Ricky slowly warms up to his new family until tragedy strikes and he is left with only Heck to take care of him, which child services will not allow. Rather than go to juvie, Ricky follows a grieving Heck into the vast New Zealand wilderness called the Bush, where the two will slowly bond while being pursued by a dogged child welfare officer named Paula, who sparks a national manhunt believing he has been kidnapped. So Jessica, I'm a big fan of Taika Waititi. 
and I'm usually excited anytime I get to check out one of his movies. And I quite enjoy this one, but it's not my favorite, and it never really comes together as well as I want it to. I remember feeling this way back when we watched it in theaters, that there's just a little something missing for me. I, I usually find myself, when I watch this movie, feeling charmed and enjoying the world he has created, more so than laughing out loud as much as I did with something like What We Do in the Shadows, or even Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can agree with you, because I love Taika's writing and his direction and his sense of humor but this movie wasn't overwhelming for me I guess and I felt the same whenever we saw it in theaters I wanted to like it more but I don't know there's something that I wasn't connecting with but the the kid who is in it Julian yeah he he's really great I really like him and he and Sam Neill together are pretty magical yeah, I really like Julian. Whenever he popped up in Deadpool 2, I was very <laughs> excited. And I read in preparation for this that he's apparently in Godzilla vs. Kong. So huh. good for him. <laughs> Whenever I was trying to figure out what wasn't really connecting with me for this movie, I feel it might have something to do with his character in that most of the comedy falls on his shoulders and there's not a lot to help balance it out because Sam Neill kind of has to play it relatively straight. Mm-hmm. But Julian, who plays Ricky, Ricky, he's a very outlandish character, but he kind of can be a bit much when he's not complimented by some other big personalities like Taika was able to do in What We Do in the Shadows or even an earlier work like Eagle vs. Shark, which he does have some of those characters in this, such as the character Taika plays, <laughs> the, the priest, which is one of my favorite <laughs> moments in the movie. Yeah. Or even uh, the character that Reese Darby plays, Psycho Sam. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Who no one has ever heard of, much to his chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> my... No, I don't want to give away a joke, but I was just going to say something about that part that really made me laugh. No, just go for it. Okay, where he, the people were closing in and he's like, wait, I have a bunker. And he removes the, the rug and he's like, I didn't dig it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yes. I do think that some of the comedy also comes from Paula, the child welfare officer, because she's kind of a kooky character and she has some laughs. Yeah, I really like her. She really made me laugh from the first moment that she came on screen. Just her little throwaway line of, I have to inspect the property. And then she just looks around for like two seconds. She's like, all right, all good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She seems like she doesn't care sometimes, but then she's really into her job. Like she wants it to be something bigger than what it is. She wants to be kind of like a secret agent type person. Yeah, she builds it up to be way more (laughs) intense than it needs to be. She just wants a thrill. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I really like that actress. Her name's Rachel House, and I was very delighted to he- uh, hear her as a voice in Soul recently as the Soul Counter who's chasing around the main characters the whole time. That does make sense. Yeah, so that was fun. Fun little fact for you. Huh. I recently learned, I probably learned this a while ago, but just forgot that Sam Neill is from New Zealand. <laughs> I saw that earlier. (laughs) I want to mention, this is my favorite Sam Neill performance, probably. Hmm. I know that he's done a lot of interesting stuff, but I feel this gives him the most range. He normally plays more of a middle-of-the-road type character, but this gives him license to be a bit more broad and interesting in a way that I don't really associate with Sam Neill a lot of the time. Yeah, I don't associate him as being a cranky older man. I guess. Yeah. The first time we saw this in theaters, I did not recognize Sam Neill for the first 15 minutes or so. And then whenever it clicked, I was like, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah. I always love seeing him pop up in things. I I really like him. Do you have anything that you wish was better about the movie? Yeah. My main issue with the movie probably is the ending. Not that I will give it away, but more so the fact that Ricky gets a little too obnoxious for my taste and just kind of gets a little reckless. And that kind of rubs me the wrong way just because he put himself and Heck in a lot of danger. Yeah. I know he's a kid and he's wanting to indulge in the quote unquote thug life, (laughs) but it just gets a little bit too over the top for me. And just the sheer scale that Taika goes for in that ending just didn't really connect with me for like the 
wholesome, not really wholesome really, but general niceness of the story. It was mm-hmm. very heartwarming up until then. Mm-hmm. And you know certain things have to be resolved, but the way in which it played out so broadly just didn't really work with me. Shit just got real. <laughs> It got very real. (laughs) One thing that I wanted to mention that made me laugh a bit, because I mentioned this to you a lot from Taika's other film, Thor Mm -hmm. Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. In that movie, he, (laughs) he plays a character, and in it, he says the line... Piss off, ghost. <laughs> and there's a line delivered by Ricky early in this film that reminded me a lot of that whenever he steps out of the police car and he's like, go away, insect. <laughs> yeah. And I like to think that that's just a subtle nod to Hunt for the Wilder People. And if so, I'm delighted about that. Yeah, Taika definitely has a great style. I love his humor. I love the way he's been developing over the years up until his Oscar win for Jojo Rabbit. He's really seems to be finding his voice and I'm really excited for the next movie he gets to release. Yeah. Though this isn't one of my favorite Taika films, I think it's definitely worth a watch. Yes, it's a very good movie. It just didn't quite live up to my sky-high expectations both times I watched it. Oh, good for you! And how was it? So what's the rating system that you figured out? So the rating system I developed for this one is hot water bottles, <laughs> just for the emotional significance to the movie. So for this movie, I would give this three out of five hot water bottles. I think I would probably give it the same, honestly. Three hot water bottles out of five. <laughs> yeah. If you want to make up your own mind, the movie, as of this recording, is currently streaming on Netflix and Hulu. Whisper something in your ear. Good God almighty. You know, they put themselves in danger, girls like that. It was a perverted thing to say. You'd think you'd learn by that age, right? Well, he's like, oh. What are you doing? It's okay, you're safe. What are you doing? Hey, I said, what are you doing? Our next movie is Promising Young Woman, which was a 2020 Sundance premiere, and it was written and directed by Emerald Vanell, and this was her directorial debut. The movie stars Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, Alison Brie, and Laverne Cox. It is a movie about a young woman named Cassie, who is played by Carrie Mulligan, is traumatized by a tragic event in her past, and she seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. We meet her in the middle of this revenge, and she comes to a crossroad where she can either continue or stop. She meets someone, a man, who makes her rethink what she's doing and how she wants to carry on. So, Dylan. (laughs) Yes. Oh boy. I really enjoyed this movie. The more that I sat with it and thought about it, the more that I like it. So I think it's definitely a grower. Yeah. And I haven't rewatched it yet, but I know once I do, it will definitely grow on me. I was just kind of blown away. Like whenever I watched it, it's it's a lot and it makes me feel alive, <laughs> but I thoroughly enjoyed it. One could even say love. Whoa. Love it. So those are my general impressions. Don't get too carried away. (laughs) Okay. I'm right there with you. This is a film I had to personally watch a second time just so I could reckon with my feelings. Because the first time I watched it, I was so taken aback by certain events in the movie that it was kind of hard to just kind of come to terms with what happened. Mm Mm-hmm and what the movie was trying to say. And the more I reflected on it and read interviews and listened to the audio commentary some (laughs) and watched it again, it kind of all clicked into place more so. And I enjoyed it the first time I watched it, but I found myself not being as totally blindsided by certain aspects and just kind of embraced things that happened more so. The thing I love about this movie is I love that Emerald Fennell did not try to give men a way to let themselves off the hook in this movie Mm -hmm. because all men basically in this movie are garbage for the most (laughs) part. And they, no man can watch this movie and just be like, oh, but I'm not like that. Because like (laughs) speaking as a man, I mean, I'm not to the level of these guys, but I know Mm -hmm. there's, I'm not a perfect person and Mm -hmm. there are things that 
I, I regret from my past, just like little small, like shoulder touches or something. Yeah. And I've discussed this with you. Like, oh, I probably should not have done that. And I realize that anyone who's watching this movie and is like, oh, that's not me. I'm a good guy. She takes down <laughs> good mm-hmm. guys and just kind of underlines how like, no, you need to be honest with yourself. And yeah, I really like it's showing how the different levels like you need to pay attention because this can evolve into something else. Mm -hmm. And yes, this also is not good to do. This is very uncomfortable for women. Yeah. Watch what you're doing. Realize what you're doing. There, there's a line in the movie where a a guy says uh, a guy's worst nightmare is being accused of sexual assault, basically. And she's like, "Do you know what a girl's worst nightmare is?" I mean, that's perfect. Yeah, that's one thing that I love about this movie. It is so it's so smart. It is so smart, and it's it's polished, but in a good way. It's it's clean. Everything is so put together it's so well put together it's wild that this is a debut yeah. from someone the fact that emerald Fennell just came onto the screen i was like i'm going to release a near masterpiece yeah and you're just gonna have to reckon with this it's pretty insane it's pretty impressive and i love this style because it's girly in a way but mm-hmm. then it's in the best way yeah it's definitely, this is a female perspective, and that's what I love about it. And I also love that, okay, I went into the movie clean. I did not know anything. We didn't watch trailers, nothing, yeah. because I didn't want to know anything. So just kind of seeing the posters and kind of having, like, a general sense from the picture, I thought that there was going to be at least some violence, you know? Mm-hmm. But I love that Emerald didn't even... There was no violence. She didn't She didn't put it in the movie because women don't usually do that. Yeah. And th- there have been tons of scientific studies that usually violence perpetuated against, like, men and women is committed. It's by men, and mass shootings is usually they're by men. Mm-hmm. And whenever women do hurt people or kill or anything like that, it's usually one person, and it's very personal. They don't usually target groups. So it's just women are more emotionally and psychologically, um, they're kind of hurtful that way. That's how they get you. Yeah. And they really kind of plant seeds and they really needle their way in. And it's stuff that will cause you harm for a very long time. You will be scarred and they will break you down. Yeah, I love how Emerald, she intentionally deceives the audience on multiple accounts. Just from an opening shot of her, of uh, Cassie seemingly covered in like specks of blood while she's eating like a (laughs) raspberry donut. And you're just like, is that? Yeah. Or is it not? And it just kind of leaves you with that for a while. Mm -hmm. With the psychological deception, I love how Cassie at one point just to mess with someone is like, I'm not the only one who does this. I'm not the only one out here (laughs) pretending to be Mm -hmm. drunk. And he's like, you're lying. You're lying. And then he just has to go go out into the night and just be like, (laughs) wait, no. But the thing is, like, all you have to do is not pick up a drunk woman and try to take advantage of her and you won't have to worry about it, bro. Exactly. Just don't be a scumbag. Yeah. And then how he's just like, you ruin all the fun <laughs> why speaking do you, about women. Yeah. Why do you guys always do this? And it's just like, OK, great. Maybe yeah. just don't be a piece of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's too hard for men. <laughs> Something that I also like is she also touches upon the point of how society really places men's reputations and their future Mm -hmm. above women's because it's like, well, no, you don't want to ruin his future. He had a bright future, but then they, they don't even give one single shit about Cassie's future and her friend's future. They could not care less. They didn't help her. They did nothing, but they wanted to keep things on the DL for the guy and to make sure that he had a bright future, which he did. He just got to be, you know, boys will be boys. So she really brings that out. So you can really see it. One of the things in response to that, as I mentioned, she doesn't let any men off the hook with this movie, but she also doesn't let the women off the hook. Mm -hmm. She, anyone who's complicit in that (laughs) rape culture is on her list basically and i think it's really smart that the first two people in her overall grand scheme uh, not just her one-offs that she's doing are both women Mm -hmm. so she starts out with the women just to be like hey no i'm not just like a man hater and stuff i'm just 
trying to take down, like, address all of the criticisms in this culture, like, uh, Madison, the Alison Brie character, like, whenever her interaction with her, whenever she's just like, well, she shouldn't have been so drunk and stuff, and she shouldn't have put herself in that situation. Like, the fact that Emerald has these female characters deliver the typical excuses that you usually hear, such as, she shouldn't have gotten so drunk, we have to give these guys the benefit of the doubt, (laughs) and things like that, I think is very smart, because, sure, you always hear men say these types of things like when they're covering up for people yeah but it's not only men like women can be just as complicit in this whole culture yeah i think she's really also shining a light on internalized misogyny Mm -hmm. where women they're brought up and this is what they know and they also have it in them they don't know that it's there and so they're just it's just the boys will be boys yeah and you know just help them out like let's just Let's not cause a scene. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they are putting it put into a similar situation or fear of a similar situation, their tune changes really quickly because it hits home more personally. Yeah. Cassie really points that out to them. Like, hey, you sure you want to keep keep this going? <laughs> yeah. I thought it was really interesting. The Connie Britton character who plays Dean Walker Whenever she didn't, whenever she was talking to Cassie, she didn't remember Nina at all. But she was like, oh, Al Monroe? Oh, yeah. Like, he's great. Like, he's doing great. But, of course, you don't remember the victim that you fucked over. Mm -hmm. But you'll remember this abuser that you let get away and who's doing fine. Yeah, who just spoke at your school. Yeah. Like, (laughs) oh, he's great. But one scene that I wanted to point out that I, I think is one of the most pivotal in the movie and really goes to underlining what Cassie what her actual ethics are is the scene with Alfred Molina because he is the only person in this entire damn movie that really shows any kind of remorse towards Mm -hmm. anything that he's done and that's all people need to do they need Mm -hmm. to just not make excuses they need to reckon with what they've done in the past and just be like I'm sorry, I'm a, uh, I'm a flawed person, and not make excuses, not be like, no, I was young, like, I, I didn't know what I was doing, I've... She shouldn't have got so drunk. Yeah, you don't need to make excuses, you just need to apologize, and if you own up to your past, Cassie will be, she will accept that, mm-hmm. and not do stuff to psychologically fuck your life up. Yeah, that's all she wanted. Yeah, and... Apparently no one who has ever come into contact with her has really done that for her because she seemed kind of so taken aback by the fact that she finally got someone to be like, oh yeah, I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's key to her just not seeming like a quote unquote un- unhinged psychopath. Like she mm-hmm. does, she's not just out to get everyone. She just wants fairness. She wants people to be accountable for their actions. Yes. And something along those lines that I was going to say is it's kind of like what a little known someone Taylor Swift mentioned, (laughs) that she's a mad, mad woman, but you made her that way. So all all these people, whenever they come across her, they're like, whoa, she is some psycho bitch, but she is not. She is just angry and broken and they are making her this way. And she wouldn't be this way if they weren't just scum on the earth and so whenever they keep treating her awfully and her friend too of course she's gonna react and she's gonna be like this and then they're just taken aback like what what are you doing (laughs) the way that they show that this one event that happened in college like nearly 10 years ago how this one event just kind of spidered out and just touched so many lives just from this one night how from nina's mom like how she like lost her daughter and how it has arrested cassie's development and how she's her life is ruined and how she was going to be at she was looking to be the top of her class yes she was a promising young woman (laughs) interesting And Al's doing just fine and (laughs) just gets to live his life. Yeah, that's just, it's the same thing that I was saying earlier. Everyone's fine that, of course, he gets to be great and live his life and they're so proud of him. But Cassie's parents are so disappointed in her and they're confused by her. They don't understand her and they're just like, why can't you just be normal? Why did you drop out of college? Just go back. She's broken. No one helped her and she can't 
she can't pick up the pieces. She lost the person that she had to help her pick up the pieces and no one, no one helps her and they don't understand. But it just seems so obvious to the viewer. Like, of course, if you would just help her. Yeah. I'd like to take a moment just to single out some of Emerald Fennell's We've talked a lot about how great she scripted stuff, but I mm-hmm. wanted to talk about her visual eye as a director. The second time watching this movie, the first time I watched it, I was on edge the entire time. And I was the second time as well, but the movie flows so quickly once you watch it through a second time. I was just like, holy hell, am I already at the end again? <laughs> it's between this and Sound of Metal for me for that best editing Oscar, but this movie moves along at an impressive clip. Mm-hmm. And the visual cues that she imbues the movie with, they're so subtle, but so interesting. Like whenever I was listening to the commentary track and I would just see little things she would point out, like that the scene with uh, with Madison in whenever she's having the initial confrontation, that Cassie has one single red light above her that looks like a red halo. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, girl, you clever. Yeah. And the amount of detail that went into, like, the makeup and costume design in this, not just like, oh, that's cute and stuff, but how it gives insight into the character just from how she's looking. Like, how even her non, like, predatory clothing that she goes out with, just her everyday clothing, like, the bright, colorful clothing that she's wearing to mask the intense pain mm-hmm. that she's feeling because she's like oh look everyone i'm i'm doing okay you don't just, just don't worry about me and fun. yeah <laughs> and how it just kind of takes her back to she was younger in her college days before her life got totally screwed over mm-hmm. and these clothes so perfectly represent where she's at she's just it's her armor that she has towards the world of just please leave me alone i'm fine And I'm showing this by saying, hey, I'm doing okay. I'm cheery. I have my kind of girly stuff. I'm doing, don't worry about me. Just leave me alone, basically. Because if everyone just saw this sad girl constantly, people would be like, are you okay? But she wants to be left alone because she's so hollow inside and broken. Yeah, it's kind of like an armor in a way. And then she's kind of on autopilot and doing what society expects just to kind of get by at her job and Mm -hmm. be nice, polite to people and cheery. But then she doesn't really feel alive. I mean, she's mostly dead inside. And Mm -hmm. then whenever she's doing her acts of vengeance, she feels alive a little bit more because she gets something out of it. She feels like she's helping maybe right the wrongs, even though she knows that she can't really ever get to that place because she beats herself up about it, which is sad. Mm -hmm. Also, Carrie Mulligan's performance is pretty much perfect, but also when is she not great? (laughs) Yeah, I love Carrie Mulligan ever since I randomly stumbled into a theater to watch an education like over a decade <laughs> decade ago not knowing what it was she is perfection and i think she is perfection in this role and my personal winner for best actress in this category this year mm-hmm. uh, i know it seems a lot of times the oscars go towards people portraying real people like mm-hmm. yeah and i haven't seen andre day in the united states versus billy holiday and i'm sure she's great because she's been a local favorite around here for a long time so I have respect for her and I know I'll probably love her performance but what Carrie is doing in this movie is so nuanced (laughs) from beginning to end the way she can turn on a dime from dark to light in a single scene and just you can see what's going on in her head just from her look it's very impressive yeah you can feel the pain Mm it radiates from her and it's not just pain that throughout the movie there are some lighter moments Mm -hmm. like whenever she's getting to know ryan and that whole relationship played by bo burnham i think that's kind of critical to this movie because in the middle of all of this darkness and like heavy stuff you have like this romantic comedy that just lifts you up and you need the comedy to make things palatable for a mass audience who otherwise if they were just like pounded over the head with all this darkness they'd be like I cannot take this (laughs) but with the burgeoning humor and the dark comedy that is sprinkled throughout this it makes things way easier to digest for people they won't turn it off after five minutes and be like I can't handle this yeah 
it's too much of a slow burn for me. Yeah. <laughs> I like the dark humor, but I do also like dark humor in general. You're a dark person. I like it. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> also, I don't know if I realized that Bo Burnham was in this movie before I saw. So whenever he popped up, I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And he was really good. Yeah. He was perfect for the role. I would have given him probably a supporting actor nom just because it's a very interesting role throughout. And the line he has to toe with his character because there are little moments where you're like I'm not quite sure about him Mm -hmm. such as on like an early date whenever he arranges for him and Cassie to be right next to his apartment he's like oh where am I and then your heart just sinks you're like oh is he a scumbag yeah because you want so badly for Cassie to have something good in this world because you see how much pain she's in and she does give him a second chance and it leads to a lovely romance and his character he has my type of humor and just like their chem- their interplay with one another is just so lovely and it, and this movie filled with very dark moments you just really need that yeah and Cassie really wants to be normal you mm-hmm. can tell that she often wants to just give this up be free of everything and just be normal but it's really hard for her to do that reminds me of one of probably my favorite scenes in the movie it's a very brief one but very important i feel whenever she visits nina's mom played by molly shannon Mm -hmm. and how you can see that molly's character she's hurting but she's been able to move on to some degree and she seems hurt by the fact that Cassie cannot move on yeah and how that hurts her because she's viewed Cassie as like a second daughter to her yeah and just holding on she knows how holding on to that pain can be so harmful to you and just seeing Cassie there and just being like I need like you need to move on yeah it's it's better for all of us if you you can't keep doing this because it would help her move on too Mm -hmm. and she doesn't want her to be in pain and Cassie's taking up this whole burden and put it the whole thing on her shoulders and she's taking up everything like I'm going to do this I'm going to make it right mm-hmm. I'm going to be the one who beats myself up every day so I can remember her I can feel this pain so that it's still alive everyone is going to feel this pain mm-hmm. I'm going to make them so she takes all this on whenever no one else will because they just want to move on and Cassie she gets that she really <laughs> listens to her the brilliant thing about this script is she's right on the precipice of getting to that place that she needs to be and Emerald just yanks the carpet out from him you're like oh here's this here, let me sprinkle this reveal in and yeah blow blow everything up yeah so it's a lot but that's what makes it good though yeah it hurts so good mm-hmm. and there's moments where you cheer there are moments where you want to cry <laughs> there are moments where you want to scream at people yeah and a movie that makes you feel that deeply you know it's doing something right yeah So let me ask you this. I've read some people, I think critics, are comparing this movie to Joker. What would be your thoughts? I've (laughs) seen the comparison. I haven't read exactly... All of their reasons for saying such a thing. It's its kind of, they're commenting on female rage, like the depiction of female and male rage and how, I don't know, something about males howling more. I don't know. Well, I mean, I know film Twitter hates Joker, apparently. I personally really love Joker, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I don't think this is a negative depiction of female rage. I think it is a positive depiction of female grief and the links that women are pushed to in the midst of their grief by fuckboys and the (laughs) patriarchy. (laughs) Not to go off on the patriarchy, but that is just, I mean, that's the truth. Women are pushed to the brink all the time and not supported. And they have to keep it together. Yeah, because... Men men have to as well, but women have to be good little girls. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I understand that there, there are criticisms with how she might go about expressing her grief. But if you watch the movie, it never, like you said, it never really goes to a violent place. I would it, say it's a more realistic depiction of female rage. Yeah. 
there there are moments that are it might be unrealistic in how well her plans go up until a point yeah but that that just kind of goes into the fantasy that cassie has built up in her head she is so enshrouded in this grief and trauma and stuff she kind of feels not invincible but even if she's not she doesn't really care because she's so broken and she's just going out into the world and by the grace of god she's been protected up until this time she hasn't had someone snap on her who she's done these confrontations to yeah but i mean there might it only might be a matter of time before someone does and who knows what'll happen yeah i mean i'm not saying all women are just going out making master plans on (laughs) revenge and everything but it's just more realistic in that women just don't automatically beat the crap out of people or just get a gun and shoot a bunch of people that wronged them yeah (laughs) with joker i can of course we know that there are guys who will be like i want to be like joker i I (laughs) want I, I want society doesn't understand me and like look at me but i would be so shocked if a woman watched promising young woman it was like huh that seems like a good time let, let me go out to a club almost get date raped yeah. and just to fuck with the guy's mind i'm like no women yeah. aren't gonna do that women aren't stupid like that yeah i don't think that they would idolize that kind of life or just be like i want to be that in pain yeah and broken as a person that seems fun and also this movie is very different from joker and what it sets out to accomplish by the end and what it's saying with its ending yeah And no one is going to watch this movie and say, I need to use this as a blueprint for my life. (laughs) Exactly. I think Joker was also more about mental illness in society and how we treat people with mental illness as well. Yeah, this is a more narrow depiction, like a more narrow subset. Yeah. I mean, it's not mental illness. It's just grief and trauma. Yeah, and women's issues in society and how they're treated and blaming victims and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, a lot of stuff that will get certain people hashtag triggered. Indeed. And hate this movie, but if they really take the time to watch it and don't feel personally attacked, just, just take a moment to take stock of yourself as a person, maybe... It'll do you some good. See how you're reacting to certain things and maybe kind of sit with that and wonder why you're reacting the way you're reacting. Yeah, there there's certain moments in this movie like characters begging for forgiveness or begging to be forgiven for certain things and saying like you have to forgive me whenever they never even say sorry about what they've done. That's so perfect because people want forgiveness without doing anything (laughs) to change. Yeah, they just want the easy way. Yeah, and they feel entitled to be forgiven. Take a moment and just take stock of your life. Just be a better person. (laughs) Try to be a better person. Have empathy. Try to see it from her perspective. Yeah. Feel what she's feeling. (laughs) I was going to read you this tweet. The Esquire UK tweeted. They said, like Todd Phillips, hashtag Joker... Hashtag promising young woman is also an origin story about an isolated figure expressing rage and enacting revenge. <laughs> that seems pretty reductive, <laughs> but who am I to say? I mean, both both got nominated for Best Picture, so I guess it's working. That's why the critics are having a field day with this. Yeah, this on its face, I never would have seen this as a Best Picture contender at all. I know we were at Sundance the year this premiered, mm-hmm. and. Our Sundance strategy is usually, oh, I think that's going to be in theaters around us in a couple months. Let's wait. Let's watch this other movie that probably won't be in theaters around us. And we saw Promising Young Woman and we're like, okay, April release, focus features. We got this. We're going to say that. Who could have predicted a pandemic would happen yeah. and be like, oh, oh, fudge. Oh, yeah. man. So that was such a hard wait for us. But no, at no point throughout this time was I thinking Promising Young Woman for Best Picture is happening. I was like, no, of course not. That's going to be probably one of my favorite movies of the year. But awards attention, no thought of that. Yeah, but I'm so glad that it's getting this attention. Yeah, if only for the fact that Carrie Mulligan had to allow McLovin to put his fingers in her mouth, Uh. does she deserve an Academy Award? (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd agree. But can I 
say one thing that bothered me while watching this movie. Yeah. It it's such a small thing and <laughs> both at the beginning after like when she's on her quote unquote walk of shame mm-hmm. whenever I, it's a brilliant scene because she confronts those construction workers who are catcalling her. Yes, it was awesome. And she just stares them down it awesome. until it pisses them <laughs> off yes. cuz men hate being confronted on their misogyny. Yes. <laughs> But she was walking barefoot, which bothered me. <laughs> and then at the end, she walks barefoot up a rock driveway. Mm-hmm. And each time I was like, what are you doing? You're going to get like stuff in your feet. <laughs> I think that also just shows how little she cares about her body at this point, though. Yeah, her I well-being. see that. It just, on a visceral level, yeah. I was like, no, baby. <laughs> yeah, Ouch! <laughs> You're going to hurt your feet. <laughs> you got to save your tootsies. <laughs> So I was just like, I hope someone swept the street for Carrie before (laughs) she walked out. I'm sure they did. They had to. Yeah, for safety things. I was very concerned. That's all I'm saying. That's my biggest criticism of the movie. (laughs) It's very valid. (laughs) Now, if any of you sons of bitches got anything else to say, now's the fucking time! So, Jessica, have you developed a rating system for this movie? Yes, My rating system is pocket notebooks. (laughs) So I would give this movie five out of five pocket notebooks. Whoa. (laughs) I would say I thought that was your first five out of five, but I forgot Gattaca exists. (laughs) Yeah. I would give this four and a half out of five pocket notebooks. Once I continue to watch this movie again and again, I know you don't want to burn it out yet, but it might elevate even more so towards that. It's just at this moment, it seems like a four and a half out of five. Okay. For those who would like to catch up with the movie and see if they agree with us, the movie is currently available to rent or purchase digitally or also on Blu-ray. And the movie will also likely be in theaters as a part of several chains' best picture showcases before the Oscars. I think men are always looking for someone better, and women are just looking for whatever works. Have a blessed day. Did you just have sex with that rollerblader? Being single builds character. Look at me. Is your Match.com login still let me be your hole? Let me be your hole one. It was taken. Our last movie is Lola Versus. It stars Greta Gerwig, Zoe Lister-Jones, Hamish Linklater, and Joel Kinnaman. It was written by Zoe Lister-Jones and Daryl Wayne, and directed by Daryl Wayne. It was released in 2012. Dumped by her boyfriend just three weeks before their wedding, Lola, played by Greta Gerwig, enlists her close friends for a series of adventures she hopes will help her come to terms with approaching 30 as a single woman. Along this journey, she makes a series of what most would call bad choices. I enjoyed this movie, but it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. It's good for a nice, easy watch, but I think there are issues with the script a little bit. Uh, Some of the jokes don't quite hit right. I think they kind of fall flat. And some of the directing choices can be a little odd at times. But Greta Greta Gerwig is what really makes the movie. And I think it's worth the watch just to see her because she really carries it. She carries the whole thing and she's really good in it. Yeah, we've been watching a lot of Greta Gerwig stuff lately. And I'm pretty much right there with you. And in terms of everything we've watched, this would probably rank last for me Mm -hmm. that's not to say i didn't like this movie i do quite enjoy it like you said it's nice but compared to her other movies and even the other movies that zoe has written before Mm -hmm. not to just list a string of movies but like sundance movies that we'll probably talk about in the future like band-aid or how it ends are both a lot stronger narratively than this one and this kind of felt more not a throwaway effort but just kind of Yeah, that's solid, but not exceptional. I didn't know if this might have been one of her first written movies. Yeah, this is actually her second screenplay. So in the interim, she's gotten a lot stronger, in my opinion. There are a lot of great jokes, and the overall character arc is very nice. Mm -hmm. And it tells a story that I always appreciate of just a woman finding herself and not needing a man to do so. Yeah, it's a nice uh, coming of age, I guess. Just kind of whenever you reach the the decade ending where Mm -hmm. it's like a new beginning, a new birth sort of thing. Greta's done similar 
roles in the past and just better. Like this isn't yeah. like Frances Ha or yeah. anything of that nature. Yeah, Frances Ha is one of my favorite Greta movies. Yeah. She's so good. But she has a lot of good stuff to do in this movie and her co-stars are quite solid. I really like Zoe Lister-Jones in the movie, even though there are points where I wasn't really feeling her character because she felt too broadly written at times. Yeah, it seemed like she was trying too hard at times. Like, she was trying to make a joke. It was kind of, like, cheesy, I guess. Yeah. Just whenever she decided to kind of pull it back and just be more natural, it was good. But then there were times, like, whenever she shows up with a new spray tan, and I was thinking, what movie am I watching right now? It feels like (laughs) a 90s sitcom. Yeah, that's, yeah. And I just didn't know what she was wanting to do with that character. And then there's a point where she's trying to keep some information from Lola, and she's so over the top and just saying, kind of talking over herself and being very broad. (laughs) And I was just wanted her to tone it down a bit, and it would have been better for me. Like, that specific character would have been better for me. Yeah, the spray tan is just like Ross and Friends, yeah. <laughs> where he gets it too dark. Yeah. And yeah, they make a joke about it being so dark. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a point where she just falls down. I mean, she's on drugs, but mm-hmm. she just falls down as she's walking away, and it's kind of random. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she'll just say certain things that are very funny in context. Like she has a line about washing her vagina. That's probably one of the better lines in the movie. But (laughs) it's just such a character-y line that it seems more manufactured. Like you're watching a script being performed instead of two people actually having a normal conversation. Yeah, it's kind of like they wanted to go for a Diablo Cody script, but they couldn't quite get it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't feel that's what this story needed, really. It needed more honesty and naturalism. Yeah, and it does have a lot of heart. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's very sweet. And I like seeing Greta's growth (laughs) throughout the movie. Though she does make a lot of decisions that are very frustrating and they don't always seem realistic. She does a good job with what she's given, I guess. Yeah, she elevates the script with her performance, just her mere presence being there. Yeah. It makes some of the more outlandish scenarios seem more believable. Yeah, because I don't think anyone is going to be doing the things that she's doing, making those kinds of decisions. Any rational person, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, the Nick the Salmon guy from the the fish market... No normal woman would stoop to that level, really. I mean, he's not a troll or anything, but he's so such a particular personality. It he does not seem to be in in the realm of reality. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say because they're always in those in these movies. It seems like well, with this kind of script, Mm -hmm. there always has to be one guy who's really or girl who's really weird and out there and particular Mm -hmm. and. They're not very realistic, but there's always one weirdo. Yeah, and in this movie, it's a guy who's rollerblading down the street singing Anita Franco. Yeah. And we're supposed to believe, yeah, this this checks out. Yeah, because in these stories, you always have to have one bad lay mm-hmm. like that who's kind of like, why, what was I thinking? She had to hit rock bottom before yeah. self-destruct. Yeah, and these kinds of people who have these quirks, it is very sitcom-y. You would find these people in sitcoms because it also makes me think of How I Met Your Mother where they have the scale of crazy, you mm-hmm. know, like hot girls and then good in bed and all that stuff. Yeah. So it's it's very much along those lines. Yeah, very reductive. Mm. As much work as Greta is putting into this movie, I feel that the certain men in this movie are not doing the same for her, <laughs> especially... Joel Kinnaman, who never really seems to be amazing in anything he's in. He's just kind of there. I would say being a pretty face, but he's not even really a pretty face. Yeah. He's fine. He's aggressively (laughs) fine. Yeah. And in this movie, you don't get why Lola, whenever they break up or he breaks up with her in the beginning of the movie, you're thinking, you're good, girl. Mm -hmm. You dodged a bullet. But the whole time she's kind of wondering 
what the hold is he has on her, what specifically about him appeals to her, because it doesn't come through on screen to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what you said before about him being aggressively handsome or whatever. he has Aggressively very, average. Yes, yes, yes. He has very broad shoulders. And it, I don't know, that just, it looked weird to me because he's like, he looks like a big dude. But his face, he always has this face that he's confused. <laughs> so it's Perpetually kinda, confused yeah, about like, what's going on. Because even whenever he would deliver dialogue or just have conversations with um, Lola... He just seemed really confused the whole time and was just like he was trying to catch up with her. And so he'd be like, what? Really? Oh, what? And he just seemed to step behind her the entire time. They were not on the same intellectual level, even though we're supposed to believe that he is some crazy successful chef. Yeah, I think that's right. And she's super smart writing theses about whatever. I forgot. Oh, literature. And the other guy in her life isn't much better, the Hamish Linklater character, Henry. He is set up to be the friend who she was missing all along. <laughs> he was right in front of her all along, but he's just very milk toast, bland. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are times where you might be rooting for them, but then other times where that just kind of goes completely out the window and you're just, you just want her to be alone and find herself which is the point of the movie yeah he comes off as being a little bit of a jerk and a whiny little baby who only is happy whenever things are on his terms and the whole thing the bad decision that she made with salmon dude Hmm. that was you know she shouldn't have done that and that was very sick homie like we were on a break but even with not with that he still is just he wants things his way and he's like well i've been here this whole time i'm your best friend and i've carried this torch for you so why don't you love me like this and why don't you treat me better and whatever she can't give him what he needs basically the movie is at its strongest when it's focused just on lola and what she the journey she is taking for herself trying to better her life and find out who she is and come to terms everything that's going on in her life. I would agree with that. Yeah. So if the movie tackled that a lot, there are just so many unnecessary, not unnecessary, but not believable points to the movie Mm -hmm. that just kind of make it a decent movie. Yeah. It's fine. The performances from Greta make things better, but it's not an all-timer. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. With that being said, I did develop a rating system for this movie. (laughs) And the rating system I developed was totally believable spray tans. (laughs) I like that. Did you come up with a rating system? Yes, I did. Mine isn't as funny as yours. I came up with either... Bad decisions or salty salmon, but I think I like bad decisions. <laughs> so what would you rate this movie? I would probably give this three bad decisions out of five. I was almost there as well. I'm going two and a half totally yeah. believable spray tans just because I gave Hunt for the Wilder People three mm-hmm. and I like it a lot more than this. That's true. So I have to <laughs> I have to follow my own logic. You're making me rethink this. <laughs> With that logic, maybe I should give it two bad decisions out of five. (laughs) Maybe. I don't even know. Go with God, Jessica. (laughs) I don't know. People are going to make a spreadsheet of all of our ratings, and they need to know. The people need to know. I'm going to settle with... I'll settle with two bad decisions out of five. Ooh. (laughs) I did not expect to come out of this movie a little higher than you. Yeah. For those who wish to make their own decision regarding this movie, as of this recording, it is available for streaming through Cinemax, and it is also available on Blu-ray through Fox. So hit up one of those. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Home Dance Film Festival. Join us again next week when we will be discussing the Oscar-nominated Minari and Backbeat, a dramatization about the earliest days of the Beatles, plus a wild card that you will have to wait to hear about. 
For those who want to prepare at home, Minari is currently playing in select theaters and available to rent digitally, and Backbeat is available on Blu-ray from Shout Factory. If you have any thoughts or opinions about the movies we discussed today or movie suggestions, you can write us at homedancepod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at homedancepod. If you feel so inclined, feel free to leave a rating or review. It helps us out. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DylanGonzalez2. That's Dylan with one I. You can also find me publishing reviews almost daily on geekvibesnation.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jessica Narrates. You can also find me contributing to geekvibenations.com. We are proud to be a part of the Geek Vibes Nation podcasting network. Original music for the show is provided by Andrew Carroll, who can be found at musicbyandrewcarroll.com. Original artwork for the show is provided by Ben Belcher, who can be found at theartofbenbelcher.com. I've been Jessica. And I've been Dylan. And we're here to say, piss off, ghost. Bye. Bye. Cheese.